Hey, everybody. Okay. My name's MJ, and you're listening to the MTG in Quarantine podcast. As usual, I'd like to give a quick shout-out to my local game store, Guardian Games. You can find Guardian Games on the web at ggportland.com. On today's episode, I have Ryan from the both the Commander Cookout and the Commander Ad Populum podcast to talk to me today about not only altering cards but also what it's like to get a free preview card from Wizards of the Coast for one of the new standard sets. So, without further ado, I'd like to introduce Ryan to the podcast. Hey, how's it going today? Hey, what's going down, everybody? Everything is good. I'm good. We were late, but we're we're here nonetheless. Yep, yep, yep. Something about time differences. So, I, so for those listening here at home... Um, I learned some interesting new trivia about Daylight Savings Time that I think is going to make for a very good bar trivia question. Anyway, so Ryan, where can people find you on the internet? Well, like you said, I am co-host of Commander Cookout Podcast and and co- I don't know, co-star of Commander Cookout on YouTube. You can you can search those up. You can find us at commandercookout.com. And then my solo project is Commander Ad Populum, where I tackle commander-based or magic-based community issues and do some deck techs on the Commander Ad Populum YouTube channel. And you can just search those up wherever you find podcasts or or on YouTube by just searching Commander Ad Populum. Yep. And I can give both content pieces a good testimonial. They definitely work for me i have a really good time watching them especially the commander cookout both of you have a very interesting personality and it just seems to work really well and then the ad populum podcast is definitely more down to earth uh definitely goes over a lot of the issues in our community and tries to keep things lighthearted. so definitely something that's in the vein of this podcast as well and i appreciate the fact that you're on here today with me to talk about these uh, couple of topics Oh, yeah, it's good to be here. And you know what, when we were chatting before the show and you you brought up some of the reasons how your podcast started, and I thought, hey, that sounds a lot like a lot like why Commander Ad Populum started and, and kind of my mental process through what's been like the uh, like a long last 12 or 13 months. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Maybe sometime I'll be guesting on your show and we can talk about that more in detail. Oh, yeah, 100%. All right, cool. So I wanted to start off today's conversation with something, again, we talked about in the pre-show. And again, I know that on the Commander Cookout, you guys received a preview card for call time a couple months ago from Wizards of the Coast. So since you're the first creator who I've spoken to here on the podcast who has received a free preview card from Wizards of the Coast, can you just tell me what that experience is like to get a free card that you are going to be able to reveal from an upcoming set during preview season? Yeah, it's it you know what it's a ton of fun and our like the, our journey of that is kind of a funny one. Like everything that happens on Commander Cookout, sometimes it just it just feels funny and just smashed together like a like a spilled over bag of groceries or something, you know what I mean? <laughs> and so we're talking with Wizards of the Coast and we're there needs to be dialogue. They need to know who you are, right? If you're not if you're not like the professor from Tolarian College or Jimmy and Josh from Command Zone and you have the biggest channels on the internet, they need to know who you are. So we get in contact with them and they keep telling us no. They keep telling us no, right? So I throw my hat in one more time and say, 
hey, just so you know, we're we're still willing and our audience would love it. If anything comes up, like, let me know. And uh, they get back to us and say, no, call time previews are already, they're already sent out, blah, blah, blah. And I get back to them. Okay, thanks for getting back to me. If anything changes, let me know. And then the Wizards PR guy says, hey, actually, something came up like in between your two emails, we'll send you a card today. <laughs> I was like, I was like, what? Are you serious? And he's like, yeah. And it's actually even like kind of a commander card. So he sent us Battle of Frost and Fire just like on a whim. It almost seemed like, and we, we built a good little deck out of it and we were the first people to see it. And it was like, it was super exciting. And, um, it it was just, it was fun because it was like a, an, is it red and blue card that we made like this damage doubling deck out of. And we, we got to send it to our editor and I had to send the editor like the same kind of disclaimer that Watsy sends us to like not tell anybody. Right. So it was a lot of fun and yeah, and, and we got we got a couple more like reprint previews from Time Spiral Remastered. We got to preview the Time Shifted Felden of the Third Path. Oh, yeah, and you and, know that's Shivam's favorite card. Yeah, and you know what? It was it was almost as exciting as Battle of Frost and Fire because it was an, an actual card that Brando and I both played in decks already. So like we would hunt this this foil old border card out. And we'd play it in real decks and we, we get to say that we previewed it for, for everybody. So did you guys end up having to fight over the preview card after you were done? <laughs> no, they don't. Uh, they didn't send us anything. Like they just, they just send us like a, an email and it's funny and nobody talks about this. I'll be very candid and frank about this is that they, uh, they, the file that they send us is actually like pretty small, low res version of the card. <laughs> And uh, then the next day when they put it up on the card image gallery, it's like the full resolution version. I don't know why they don't just send that. Something about file size, I guess. You know, companies in their modern emails where they say, well, we're sending you the low res version not to spam your email. And yeah, yeah, like yeah. That's, that's weird, though. Yeah, it's it's a ton of fun, though, and we're we're happy to do it, and we're excited for when we get our next one. We just got to keep poking wizards. Yeah, so again, to all the listeners out there, persistence pays off, especially when yeah. it comes to free preview cards. It doesn't matter if they're reprints or if it's a brand new card. The fact they're able to reveal a new card to the world sounds extremely exciting. Yeah, man, it is. It is. It's a ton of fun. You know what? More than exciting, it, it is just fun because we get to kind of just show off the most purest version of being excited about magic all right off to the rest of the episode that we had planned for today um, i know that you're really big into altering cards so i wanted to spend most of our time today talking about card alters and uh you know trying to dispel maybe some of the myths that people may have about altering cards uh, explaining the difference between, you know, actually doing the art on the cards versus something like altar sleeves where you actually have a separate sleeve for your cards. But mostly, I think, and the place where I really want to start on this one is really explaining your process for altering cards. So in the pre-show, I know we discussed this a little bit more in detail, and I really want you to go through your process as an alterist from beginning to end. So obviously you take commissions on card alters, I want to know what your process is step to step after someone sends you uh, a commission, they have a card, again, it doesn't matter which card that they want to have altered, 
but they'll just send you a card and they have a vision in mind for what they'd like. What is your process from beginning to end on something like that? Yeah. You know what? It's funny is, is like when people contact me, they might contact me through like the commander ed populum, like just sending me a PM or through the commander ed populum Facebook page. You can, you can get at me at CAD podcast on Twitter. I didn't say that before, but uh, they'll, they'll send me a PM, maybe Facebook messenger too, right? They'll shoot me a friend request or whatever. And they say, hey, how do I get in touch about getting a commission? And I always type back literally exactly like this. You just send me a message. That's how the process starts. That's like ground zero. And I I usually say something like, what were you thinking? Or did you have something in mind? And a lot of the times it's just, yeah, like I, I, I have my commander. I want it to be... I want it to be Goku from Dragon Ball Z or I want it to have like borderless art treatment like the like the showcase cards or whatever, right? Like the the full art cards that they do now in collector packs. And uh they they just say this is my card and I'll I'll either send it to you or because I work with a couple stores, uh, one of the kind of the services I provide is actually being able to pick the card up for somebody or get it shipped to me. Because I'm in Canada, and if you're sending like a whole deck or a bunch of maybe more expensive cards, or if you're overseas, shipping via like to get stuff into Canada sometimes is expensive if you want to like put insurance and stuff on it. So I'll pick up the cards for people and I'll paint that card and then essentially air quotes just add it to the bill at the end. So that's another just like a little bit of a convenience service that I can that I can provide. And there's just really a bunch of dialogue about kind of what somebody wants to see on their card in terms of character, subject matter, colors, uh, maybe a theme. There's, there's a bunch of different types of like frame treatments. If you want borderless, if you want a full art piece, and that's kind of just what we go back and forth on until we kind of hammer out an idea. Okay, yeah. So once you have that idea going forward, walk me through some of your creative process to take that concept, that uh, 2D, maybe even one-dimensional idea that you may just have in your head. Walk me through your process of then going through the entire process of altering the card until you're finally able to deliver the actual end. Yeah, okay. Well, two, two things. First thing... If, if anybody's interested in sort of the longer formed version of this, on the Commander Ad Populum YouTube channel, there is a whole altered art tutorial playlist. There's, there, I think there's 11 or 12, 17 videos or something where I cover supplies, paints, lighting, uh, kind of the process of blending colors, different kinds of alters. I cover all that. So if anybody wants to see that, you can head on over. Just again, Commander Ad Populum on YouTube. The process, though, the condensed version usually involves having the card, getting all of my paints set up, my lights. I've got a, I've got kind of a studio set up separate from my recording studio. I start with a, a little bit of a base coat, usually regardless of what kind of alter it is, unless it's some kind of foil piece where I need the foil to show through. I'll I'll do a base coat with like a special kind of marker that I have that sticks to pretty much anything and that paint sticks to 
because there are some additions or some cardstock qualities that paint will not stick to. They're super waxy. If you've ever held in your hand like a like a Japanese card, how they have uh, a very distinct, like smooth feel to them. Battle Bond cards are the same. So I'll, I, I've got a base coat with a marker that's got to be able to stick to that. So then I can stick paint to the marker. And after that, I would just start pa- painting as per the the client's request. Like the simple way that I do like my border extensions is is to do like a black fade at the bottom, which a lot of people like, a lot of people don't like. And if it's a black fade card, I would start with that first. And then I would just go from kind of the left side of the card because I'm left-handed and then do over the top where the name line is around the text if it's an old border card and then down the right hand side and then down into the fade to black at the bottom so it's kind of just like a little bit of a process that I've not purposefully developed but kind of just the way that I go through the motions when I paint a card it's just kind of like from left to right start blending and just go till it's done yeah, yeah, yeah. And obviously when you're done with the product, they look amazing. And and and, and that's really the allure of the altar cards, at least from where I sit as an interested community member, looking at all the images on Twitter of these amazingly done, very painstakingly handcrafted cards that end up just being light years better than the than the standard card you started with in whatever frame it was in. Oh, well, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, the, you know what, like a lot of people come to me with, with like, hey, I want Iron Man or I want Thanos or I want something from Naruto or some something, right? And I don't do a whole ton of, and quite frankly, a lot of the times I turn down a lot of anime inspired pieces or comic book inspired pieces where either I'm not very comfortable with, with that style of art because I don't do it. Or, or I'm not, or I'm not familiar with the subject matter because I can't watch literally every anime in existence to know like kind of what or who I'm painting. Do you know what I mean? So some, sometimes I don't do stuff like that, but even just like a traditional border extension on a, on a card that has really vibrant colors, or if I change maybe the background of the sky to like a sunset instead of being midday, it gives the card a whole different color, whole different feel, whole different kind of aura about it, especially if you're getting a commander done and it's sitting like in your command zone on the table face up all the time. It's it's very eye-catching. And that's my favorite part is doing somebody's commander because they're always willing to do something a little bit more extravagant. You know what I mean? Like something full art or something like really custom or you know, like on, uh, I'm trying to think like a Masaryk crawl death priest. I did like spider webs and a bunch of mushrooms and stuff and fungus growing everywhere, that kind of stuff. Um, I think for most of the stock stuff I do that, that, that I, that I just paint an auction on the commander cookout Facebook page, most of that is border extensions. And maybe about half of my commissions are border extensions mostly because they're 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 kind of the most affordable way or or the kind of entry level way to get into altars because they're going to give you the unique look and they're going to be relatively quick for me and they're going to be relatively affordable for you especially if you want to get like a playset done at once or 
all of the dragons in your deck done at once. You know what I mean? Or all of the swamps in your deck done at once. It's easy to a little bit create an assembly line a little bit for doing the same card over and over again, like a basic land. But some of my some of my reoccurring clients or some people who want kind of the next step altars are kind of like tattoos once you get one you like the first one you get usually like a little i heart mom or something on your arm or in discreet location you know what i mean and then you get addicted you get another one you get another one and you get another one all of a sudden like your whole arm and your whole leg and your whole back is done i tell people altars are like tattoos and the people who have gotten their whole arm done and their whole back done. Now they're getting their neck done and their legs done. Those are the people that that I do like really custom weird stuff for. And and that's the challenging part, but also the fun and, and really cool rewarding part for me. Yeah, it's definitely interesting to to go through that process and really see how, you know, people start trying to jump in. Again, I'm going to use a weird anecdote here, but people are kind of jumping in at the small end of the pool, kind of the shallow end. And yeah. the, the further you wade in, the more willing you as the artist are to do some interesting things because you have that familiar, you have that relationship with the client you you understand more what they're looking for and you're more willing to go outside the box and try something new that's that's a very interesting process you know what it's it's i I never really thought of it like that until now and you're 100 percent right when when somebody new comes to me and says hey i want an altar and i ask them what are they thinking lots of the times it's my first one I don't know you tell me type thing so I give them a little bit of a rundown about different types of altars that they can get you know like little art pops within the original art or a borderless whatever it is but when people come back to me on a reoccurring basis I start to understand what it is they like or don't like you're right and I didn't I didn't really think about that and when I'm done a piece for them I say hey you're gonna love this or, hey, I have this idea, you're going to love it, but it's not done yet. I already know that. And that's just a that's just a good kind of client, I don't know, service provider relationship that, that any good place of business is going to try to develop and maintain with, with their patrons. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I'm glad that I was able to give you a new potential anecdote for use with your future customers. That's... Yeah. I'm helping out here, people. That is it. <laughs> okay. So I wanted to shift gears a little bit now that we've talked a bit more about your process, about how you go from beginning to end of the altering process with your clients. I kind of, I know we talked earlier about some of the misnomers that people have about altars. So my question at the moment is what misnomers are there in the greater community, not just the Magic the Gathering community, but just kind of in the gaming community in general, are there about altered cards? Obviously, when you, when you, fundamentally change the art on a card obviously it's not what wizards of the coast would consider to be tournament legal it's just like the world championship decks the gold border silver border cards at that point they're custom works of art but they're no longer tournament legal for uh standard gameplay like tournaments or you know even in some casual circles so uh yeah just could you touch on which what misnomers there might be about altered cards out there in the community especially since there's still a lot of ing- lingering issues about the proxy debate. Yeah, you know what? Like a couple things. Again, I always I always think of a whole bunch of different things as like as soon as you start asking. The first thing, tournament legality. 
without having reviewed the actual tournament rules with regards to alters in the last couple years, because everything I've been doing has been strictly for Commander, I can't say for sure what exactly the Magic tournament rules say at this time. At the time, the last time that I reviewed them, I was selling cards on eBay, alters on eBay, and I had a disclaimer from like competitive tournament rules, DCI something, that said the name and art, power, toughness, text box, all of the actual mechanical parts of the card should be visible. But ultimately, tournament legality is up to the head judge at any tournament that you play at. What that means is... If something's changed on the card and you got to get your deck checked if you have alters, you just do. That's on you because if you don't and your opponent calls you out on it and then a judge comes over, they call the head judge over, hey, you didn't ask, uh, game loss or whatever for having marked cards or, or DQ for marked cards. That's what they're going to call you on if you don't check beforehand. Now, checking beforehand will probably result in you not being able to play your cards at a sanctioned Magic event. If you go to, let's say, a Grand Prix at a Magic Fest and say, hey, I've got a play set of altered lightning bolts for my modern red burn deck, they're probably going to say, no, you can't play those. Even if the borders weren't touched and the original art is, or the name, power and toughness, mana text is all still visible, if it's all still visible and the borders are still all visible and there's no paint on the edge of the card, they might still not allow you to play them because they might say that there's a thickness discrepancy or they don't sleeve the same. And I would say that that's your first big like misconception. Sure, if you like take a like a like a house painting paintbrush and just slop like a big goop of paint and just like let it dry in the sun for a week, the card will be thicker. But if you're using like a paintbrush that's smaller than the head of a toothpick and you're painting such a small, flat, minuscule amount of paint on a card over multiple, multiple layers, it's not going to be any thicker. Unless you like take out a digital micrometer, it'll it'll be thicker. But if you don't and you just put it in the sleeve, it's going to look exactly like a normal card. That isn't to say that you should argue with a head judge and say, hey, no, it's not thicker like I've measured. Like I should be able to play my lightning bolts in my modern tournament. No, you should get your casual decks or your EDH decks altered. That's where alters should live just to avoid any potential conflict, right? And And... Even when you look at foils in competitive formats, some people don't want to run foils because they curl and they don't want to get called for marked cards because that's a game loss or whatever. Uh, alters are the same thing. Just make sure in your tournament decks, all your cards are as consistent as possible. And in your EDH, in your casual decks, that's where alters go. And thankfully for me, EDH is the or Commander is the biggest format right now. So there's lots of people that, that are interested in alters. I think I think after that, like the 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 kind of issues or or problems that people might ha have is like if you cover up too much of the card, or if you cover up like the text box, or if you change the art and the text box, and you don't know what the card is, like something like a Yogg Moth, um, what's what's his name, Thran 
priest, like the, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, if you don't know exactly what all of the abilities and words and punctuation on that card is, maybe it's not the best card for you to get like a complete like art overlay on top of because then you need another copy or you need to bring it up on your phone and then you've got your phone sitting on the battlefield instead of this awesome altar. I think if you're getting an altar, you need to know exactly what your card does so you can explain it to people. I think that's the next the next big thing that that I really need to make sure that people understand. Yeah, I I remember when I was first getting started in Magic, I believe it was Cryptic Command I got hit with. And it it was one of those textless versions that Wizards sent out for the rewards program all those years back. And I I was so new, I didn't even know what Cryptic Command did. It was the first time I'd ever had a cast against me. And it just, here's this card. Okay, what does it do? You you try explaining to someone who's new all four modes of Cryptic Command. Yeah, you didn't know what it did, so then your opponent didn't tell you, so they looked it up, or or your opponent didn't know, so they looked it up or whatever, and then when they told you what Cryptic Command did, you didn't believe them, because you're like, how does one card do all those things, and I get to, and and you get to choose two? Like, what the heck? Yeah, Cryptic Command is the notorious example for, for exactly what I'm talking about. But yeah, that that is a sanctioned quote-unquote thing from wizards because they released it versus an altar which in theory as you just said could uh, potentially lead to disqualification if you get into a fight with the head judge at an event yeah and you know what like i've i have a deck my friends call it the stack of 100 business cards because it's a literally 100 percent all altered animar deck and it's fairly competitive and i wanted to play it in the commander championship at magic fest las vegas in 2018 and it's about to start i hunt down a judge and i hunt down another judge and the head judge for the this 500 person commander tournament first one ever and this guy's like running all over the place like crane okay nice stuff and i'm like hey i have this commander deck it's got altars and he's like cool and he's like looking at them and like i've got like dual lands in there that have like sunset backgrounds and cards that I changed to be like actual animals. Like my mall drifter is like a flying fish, like an actual flying fish that you'd see like on the planet earth on discovery or something. Right. And he's like, that's really cool, but it, it, it doesn't look like what the actual mall drifter looks like. So you know what? I don't think it's a very good idea that you play this because the competitive people that want to win this event are going to call you out on it. And the casual people who are playing commander with their dad aren't going to know what it does. And he gave me like this, just this perfect example, kind of just like exactly what I said just now. And he's like, sorry, man, it's really cool. I'd like to play against the deck, but do you have any other decks? And I was like, okay, yeah, yeah, for sure. I'll just play something else. Right. Mm -hmm. And I'm talking altars down. Like you're not allowed to play them a lot so far. And that's not the case because like you could go to any, friday night magic or with your friends or you go to any magic fest and as long as it's not like a like a sanctioned event like i just talked about just play them yeah and you know what like that was the culture about it like two and a half years ago almost three years ago now with and you brought it up before with with proxies and alternate art proxies or because there's been some recent artist controversies, people change the art on proxies and make them not look like what card they are. The the culture about alters and proxies has changed 
especially because the CEDH crowd is so willing to accept people playing with proxies. So if if you wanted to get a card altered or a proxy of a card that has nothing to do with the original art, like it's still wide widely accepted in today's magic. And 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 that's definitely something interesting I've noticed since uh just since I started getting on Twitter and starting this podcast out is I started i i I will readily admit that i started from a point of skepticism about proxies i mean you know having played card games off and on for the last 20 years the the concept of proxying of altering just kind of felt like you were trying to get around the system at the very beginning and as i've really started to wade more into things i've really found that it's it's actually a very interesting ecosystem of people who want to try to do something different uh, as far as the altars and want to have that amazing piece of art in their command zone or in their deck. And uh, the people who want a proxy want to be able to actually have access to playing because, again, I didn't understand that as a kid when I was originally playing these card games was that I didn't, I didn't really realize how much money you had to sink into the game in order to be able to have all these expensive, powerful cards. And that was 20 years ago. Well, now if we can think about the 20 years of appreciation on cards that the CEDH community uses, for instance, we're talking about hundreds hundreds, and then thousands and thousands of dollars to be able to build a single deck. So I definitely think that my own opinions on this have definitely shifted dramatically in just the last year, just having taken a look at how the community reacts to being able to have custom art in your command zone, having custom art in your commander deck, because ultimately... I my experience with Cryptic Command was I believe it, it wasn't an EDH game. Fortunately, I just didn't have any idea what the card did, so th- there was nothing on the line. We were able to sort things out, but yeah, I, I, I can imagine that in the midst of a tournament, that would have been an absolute nightmare to try to figure out. Well, what does Cryptic Command do? I don't remember all four modes. Um, yeah, it, just something like that. But yeah, it's it. it I think you're right that there's definitely been a huge shift in our community towards uh, at least in casual events being able to play with proxies because again i don't have the money or the interest in buying 500 cards to be able to participate in this game i'm i'm a budget brewer i love building decks that are about 50 dollars or less for this reasons because those cards are uh, easily easily procured and you know that that's just the way i really enjoy playing with a bunch of really funky weird cards but if, if i was ever getting the cdh for any reason, I would definitely look to, to proxy the majority of my deck because I don't have a lot of those cards. So it's just interesting to hear how alters and proxies can kind of be similar in some ways um, and, and, and still have also the same issues, but also the same benefits throughout the community. Yeah, and you know what? Like you, you say some funky cards, cards that people have never heard of, something unique, right? That's I kind of lump all of those kind of turn of phrases in turns of phrase into the same kind of boat because the culture has changed yes because of the monetary value attached to some of these cards and how they've appreciated and people who play cedh's willingness to or 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 desire to play with other people at the highest level you need some of these cards but the other reason the culture shifted is because people want funky things they want to they want to use their deck as an expression of either themselves or a theme or they want to really expand on 
their commander's kind of identity. These these are characters within a game, but to people, they're more than that, right? If you've read any of the magic literature, maybe you really like a character and you want to expand on that or show people that this you can identify with this character or this comic book character or this theme, right? And the proxies are great for that. And they have a very different style and distinct style of art, some of them to to either reflect this kind of the the pop culture associated with a commander deck and alters can do that too and and in some ways they're they're similar in that regard but you do have to remember the like an alteration there is there is some there there are, the differences are this with a proxy whoever makes that proxy isn't allowed to sell it because that is selling like just a a magic card that you're going to play with. It's an actual real game piece. And that's a big no-no in Wizard's Eyes. For an, for an alteration, I'm selling what is a real magic card that, that Watsi printed and somebody paid money for. What I'm selling it for is the time that went into painting it to look like something else. I'm not selling the card as my own card. I'm selling the time that it took to to paint it. So you just have to remember if anybody's kind of thinking about wanting to try alters or you've got like a certain special kind of printer you want to make proxies or whatever it is, just really just make sure you kind of know the ins and outs about what you can sell and what you can't sell. And just be careful if you're if you're making proxies because people might actually offer you money for them and that doesn't change the fact that you're not allowed to sell proxies. Even if somebody's willing to give you money for them, you're just not allowed to. So that's just, again, just a little disclaimer. And I don't want to be the guy that comes on and says, oh yeah, altars and proxies, they cost lots of money, but they'll save you lots of money, right? I, I don't want to just say that kind of stuff without saying you can't sell proxies. Of course not. And and that's a really interesting dialogue that we that you need to have with your community, with the clients, is that uh, you, you have to put the expectations out there on your sleeve. You can't just, you know, leave it somewhere in the fine print um, expecting that people are going to read the five-page-long contract. You know, like whenever you download a piece of software off the Internet and they give you the, the TOC, well, in most cases, you're probably not going to read that whole thing, um, you know, word for word. But if you are going to be very upfront with your clients saying, look, this is the difference, you're paying me for the time investment that I'm putting in this, not necessarily the cardboard, that right there definitely makes a big distinction. Yeah. You know what? You know what I equate it to is like when you start a new job and you need some safety training or whatever, it's not your part of your job description as the new employee is to not, not part of your job description is not find out what's going to hurt you at your job. No, it's your employer, your boss's responsibility, legal obligation, depending on where you're from to give you safety training so you don't get hurt, right? And as somebody who who deals with buying and selling magic cards with art on them, it's my responsibility to tell people, no, I can't do that, or no, I can't sell you that, or this is exactly what you're being charged for, is the time it takes me to paint a magic card. And people even come to me and say, hey, like, can you... Uh, can if I send you a blank card or can you blank a card totally white with nothing on it and paint me a Ristic study or whatever? I say, no, I can't do that. That's a proxy and I can't sell you a proxy. 
and I don't want to muddy the water between selling you a Ristic study proxy and selling you the time that it takes for me to make the art because I wrote Ristic study at the top of it and Ristic study belongs to Watsi. I don't want to deal with that. So that's another kind of commission that I just have to turn down because I don't make proxies. I'm, I do alterations to magic cards, existing real magic cards. Mm -hmm. And, and I think that's definitely a part of how alter sleeves has kind of tried to work in that space. Although that's, that's definitely a different way of looking at things entirely where you're putting a card in a sleeve versus putting yeah. it on the card itself. And you know what? Alter Sleeves is great. It's a great way to customize your deck. It's it's pretty affordable, I think. And I don't know if they offer any discounts if you do like a whole deck because you'd need like 100 different sleeves or whatever or 60 different sleeves, whatever it is. But they're great. And a lot of Alter Sleeves actually start in a traditional medium with, with card and paint. And somebody like me does it and sticks it on a, on a high-res scanner and puts it into the template on altar sleeves and kind of cut it out. And then my traditional medium paint on paper becomes a digital thing that somebody could print out and make a sleeve of. So if you want altars, like that's a great place to go because you can get something that was maybe done by hand and you can just click a couple buttons and get it. Yeah. And their prices are extremely reasonable too. I've, I've, I haven't, purchased one yet i mean i'm still trying to figure out which card i want to have be my first altar sleeve out of all the decks i have but just for the listeners out there card altars start at you know on, on altar sleeves just start at six bucks so i mean there there's there's a ton especially for the more popular cards like especially with ristic study for instance there are so many different interpretations on that artwork just available on altar sleeves that you could effectively get anything for your you're how you're feeling that day for any day of the week there's just so many different flavors for a lot of the cards and then even for cards where there aren't a lot of options on there you can still get some very interesting like some stained glass uh altars or just even some full art things where again like you were mentioning earlier ryan you're just extending it out to the to the margins instead of leaving the border in so just even something simple like that it's all available on altar sleep yeah for sure and i think that you can even go into like sort of like an artist profile, right? Where you you see, let's say, a Ristic study. Hey, I really like that style. You click on it, you see who the creator is, and they've submitted maybe like 50 or 100 different cards or designs to alter sleeves that you could you could pick and choose from and kind of do a bulk order of the same style. So you can, again, like what I talked about, you can theme your deck in a certain way based on like an art style that an artist does that you like. So they do give you that that option for expression as well. Even even if it isn't like a really far out crazy proxy or even if it isn't a traditional piece done by hand right onto the card. So great option, especially, especially for people who... Uh, who don't like altars and if you're trying to move your collection a lot of people ask or used to ask hey if i get my card altered is it going to make it worth more or worth less and i would always say like well it depends on who you're who you're selling it to because some people are going to appreciate the the alteration especially if it's a high quality one and some people are going to say oh well that card has paint on it it's technically it would it would grade as damaged Kind of like what signatures do. Some people think that signatures add value and some people say that I don't like them.
Yeah, I, I remember I was able to pick up some signature cards the last Magic Fest I went to back in the days of yore, back when we had such things. And I, I remember being able to pick up a card that was normally like 6 to $7 for like a buck from one of the local vendors there because it just had the signature on there. And honestly, I would rather have an altar that someone, you know, if, if I was a buyer in this case, I would rather have something that someone got altered to look really nice like your work versus just, you know, something like a signature. I would put value in that, but I can definitely see how people would take that art and consider it to be damaged goods just because, you know, it doesn't look like the card. So, um, yeah, that could be. Yeah. And you, you know what the thing is about all of these types of things that we're talking about is, is they are for somebody and they are an expression for somebody. Like I've got a, a deck that's all altered and I do alter projects on decks where I do all the cards. I also have a deck that I'm working on getting all signed every single card signed and that is a little bit of a magic fest project as i go to magic fest and create memories with friends i can tie like this exact card to magic fest calgary where i met you know mark mark teden or or whoever right and uh, they all have their own special little bit of nostalgia and that's why that's why they're all special they're all for somebody yeah, um, like my friend Ryan, who's sometimes my co-host on the Control Room series on my podcast here on the MTG and Quarantine channel, uh, when we went to our last Magic Fest back in 2019, he was able to get a couple of his cards, like his Mind Funeral, signed by RK Post, who happened to be there, and it happened to be one of he happened to be one of our, Ryan's favorite artists. So the fact that he was able to get his cards signed while they weren't overly valuable really meant something personally to him like and and i can't remember exactly which card what was a thorn elemental or something that it would ryan said was his first card he was also able to get that signed as well by the original artist oh yeah thorn elemental like the the foil one from back in like seventh edition or whatever i think so yeah sweet sweet yeah and it it's it doesn't really mean anything when you just look at uh, those artist cards in the in the bargain bin, like like the the card I just mentioned, where I got that for a dollar instead of six bucks, because you had the, the big fact signature in the text box. But again, for whoever originally got that card, I can definitely see that being a bigger deal than if just me being on the like the second or third sale of that card. Just oh, okay, it's got an art signature. Cool. I can't read the text yeah. box, but you know it it doesn't. I don't have that personal connection to the card where. I imagine that if I came to you and said, hey, Ryan, if you could alter this card for me, there'd be a whole lot more of a connection between myself and the card versus me just pulling it out of a bargain bin pre-signed by for some person who hasn't really, who didn't even, who got it done, what, five, six years ago, let's say, something like that. Yeah, and you know what, I think maybe the last thing as as we kind of wrap up here is when you say the, the attachment to a card, I do lot a lot of pieces for people who say hey this was my very first commander or this actual card i'm sending you was a gift from my friend or a big a popular one is getting like wedding rings painted onto sol rings that kind of stuff kind of feels a little bit to me when i do them like when i get a signed card at a signed card at a magic fest where i meet an artist that i admire and i say hey can you do a little doodle and you give them a tip and whatever right and then i've got a little piece of altered magic kind of memorabilia that matters to me and it's signed by the artist 
I, I imagine that's what it feels like when people get their wedding rings or I do lots of like dog portraits on like Halden and Paco, for example, or just like little meaningful things. And that's when you go to altar sleeves or when you get like when you trade for a proxy or whatever, you might not get that kind of personal connection to a card like you would if I paint like if I painted your wedding ring on it or if you met an artist and had this great memory from a magic fest. So I think that's for me, that's like the ultimate upside, right, is providing something meaningful to to people or getting something meaningful for my own collection. Like I, I even have assigned and, and doodled on like Sol Ring, Mana Vault, Mana Crypt, like I've got all of those done by Mark Teeden at various magic fests and like some people are like, oh my God, that's an original book mana crypt from like 1996 or whatever. And I'm like, yeah, but, but it, it, I got it in Vegas and it was a great time. Yeah. So, uh, last question here, something really quick. And again, I, I know that you probably have some, uh, might, might have some difficulty with this one. So I will make it, a, I'll change the, the question a little bit. I would ask you what have been some of your favorite card alters to do, but since I don't want you to show any favoritism towards certain clients over others, what are your favorite types of alters to do on cards? Oh man, you know what? I like to do uh, I like to do pieces in black and white. Black and white and gold I really like. Uh I've done a few deck projects of different styles, but same color scheme white on black uh, with gold and gold leaf because it's so bright compared to gold paint. I like that. I like really high color, almost like pop art style. If you Google pop art, you, you, you'd you see lots of like, um, it almost looks like old comic book art, but like people have different colored skin, very Andy Warhol type stuff. And uh, that stuff's really hard to get flat colors on magic cards with acrylic paint is like it's so time consuming so I don't do a ton of them but uh, when I have some time to do something for myself it's maybe one of those styles okay yeah sounds good anyway I'd like to wrap up the episode I want to thank you Ryan for taking the time to talk to me about altars and preview cards today's it has been an absolute treat to have you on Oh yeah, anytime. You're you're more than welcome to reach out anytime and I'll come and talk about magic anytime. All right. Sounds sounds great. So again, where can people find you on the internet and learn more about your card altering as well as your podcasts? Yeah, well, Commander Cookout Podcast and Commander Ad Populum Podcast and their associated YouTube channels. And on Twitter, if you want to reach out, Twitter's really quick for me at CCO Podcast and at cad popcast on twitter and dms are open there dms are of course open on both facebook pages for the two platforms and essentially anywhere that you can find podcasts we're we're there all right sounds good and you can find more of me mj on twitter at at mtg in quarantine where you can find all sorts of interesting little tidbits uh my silly little uh, april fools joke yesterday that was kind of weird didn't really work out all that well, but you know, whatever, it's it's April Fool's Day. And also you can find the back catalog of my podcast episodes on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Casts, and many other fine podcasting outlets. So again, for my guest Ryan, my name's MJ. You're listening to the MTG in Quarantine podcast. Have a great rest of your day.